up with a story. It's our story. I understand there's no Sunday school dismissal this morning, so maybe some children will enjoy a story this morning also, right out of the scriptures. But it's not a story like a fable or a fairy tale because it's the holy word of God. It's a true story. And it's actually our story. Now, this story, we're going to begin, and I'm going to do a bit of reading, which means you're going to do a bit of reading, because it's going to be on the screen, and I like for us all to read what God spoke to us, right? Not just me do it for you. You aren't babies. There might be a few in here, Um, but just to let you know, this is an, before we get started, this is an Old Testament story. Now, Some folks struggle about that and say, well, I'm not in the Old Testament. I'm in the New Testament. But Romans, do you know that everything we need to know about how to approach God can be found in the scripture somewhere? And in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, it says, whatever was written in the former days was written for our learning or for our instruction that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So we're going to read from an Old Testament true story of how things went with God's people because that somehow has real bearing on us. So let's not dismiss any of God's word. All right? Okay, so we're going to start with Joshua chapter 1. And Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verses 1 to 9, talks about God's promise Now, this was his promise to the people of Israel. But put yourself in these words and realize, even though it may not be specific about that land, God has given us a promise in bringing us to Christ, right? The promise of life everlasting. And he has given us an authority to walk through this life victoriously. So let's read. So Joshua 1, 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. 
Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Whoa, what a promise. Hallelujah. And God has repeated many of those same words to us in the New Testament, right? I will never leave you, neither forsake you, right? And he talked about the armor of the Lord and be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He gave us great and precious promises, right? By which we can be partakers of the divine nature and on and on. What happened? This was the word of the Lord to Joshua. Joshua just starting out. What happened? Thankfully, the people of God basically said, amen. So in verses 16 and 17, they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And so should our heart be, and it probably is toward our leaders, amen, is if the Lord's with you, Bishop, we're with you. And we're going to support you. I hope that's our heart. To the extent that we see God in him and using him, we're going to be his support. We're not going to fight him. We're not going to argue, bicker. We're not going to complain. We're not going to gripe. We're not going to go go home and eat him over dinner, right? Okay, but we support our pastor because the Lord is with him, and we are res- really respecting the Lord. So the people of God were in agreement with God. Praise God. So what's next? And this is our story, remember. This is our story. We have promises, and we say yes and amen, Lord. And so what happens next? God's miraculous power is at work, just like it is in us. Joshua 3, we have a story continue. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Now, if you know any of this, you know, the, the geography and so on, I mean, this was just the way into the promised land. And so the people of God now, in obedience to God, <clears throat> followed and had all these things done as the Lord had commanded Joshua. 
with the priests and the ark going first. That meant the presence of God went ahead of us because we were in the story. And he brought us through our Jordan and he brought us into his faith. And we are now in the promised land, which is called walking with God. Amen. But it was by the miraculous power of God. Do we understand it was a miracle that we're Christians? Oh, I know some of you say, well, I've been in church, though, all my life. Do you realize what a miracle it is if you're sitting here now when you were raised in church? Give God the praise. Amen. That's a miracle from God, as it is for those of us who are not. And so the natural outbirth of the miracle working power of God in our lives is found in the next couple of chapters, Joshua 5, the very first one. It says, as soon as the, all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, there, the enemy's hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Did you ever think about your enemy? Not because you're anything, but because you are Jesus's, belong to Jesus, you're God's child. The enemy is terrified of you. Joshua 6, 1, now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. All we did was walked into the promise of God and all at once there's a whole terror that upon the pe- fell upon the people all around us. Now it's maybe not people in our case. Hopefully it isn't people in our case. We don't want our people around us terrified of us unless they're bent on our destruction. But the enemy is our is spiritual enemies, right? We wrestle not against people, flesh and blood, but against, you know, principalities and powers, okay, and spiritual wickedness in high places. They're afraid when we've come through our Jordan. So what happens in our lives, much like what Joshua did, which I won't read through right now, but in the next chapter or so, or actually in chapter 5, Joshua took a step of further obedience. He circumcised the men who had come out of Israel, of uh, the wilderness, who had not previously been. Now circumcision being commitment to God. Took time to really say, oh God, I'm yours now. That's the proper response, you know, to coming through our Jordan is Lord, have all of me. You've done all this for me, have all of me. And he kept the Passover, so the manna that they had, that had sustained them ceased. And then Joshua had a visitation. Have we had an experience in the presence of God where God ever came close? He had a visitation. He saw a man over there with a sword drawn in his hand, and he said, are you for us or for the enemy? And he said, no. I'm the captain of the Lord's host. In other words, I'm here now that you're going off to obtain the full promise of God. I'm coming to march with you and command the armies of the Lord to go with you. Victory in battle at Jericho, we read in Joshua 6. Have we ever had a victory in battle? We've gone forth as the army, as the children of God. What a story. Is this our story? It is our story. Joshua 6, and I'm going to read just a certain few verses from that. It said, on the seventh day, now this was all in obedience to how God told them 
to serve him in Jericho. But Jericho was one of the cities that God said, this is going to be part of yours. This is the promise. I want you to start here at Jericho. Gave specific instructions. So we read on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So the people shouted, the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Boy, just that, just like that. (laughs) They just did what God told them to do. And the wall just fell flat. And they just went in and took the city. Have we ever had it like that? Of course we have. We might have to think back a little ways. When we were new babes in Christ, didn't everything happen right? (laughs) And And we were these people at that time. This was like the beginning of our victories, right? We just walked into it and it was like, whoa, you know, God's favor, God's blessing. And, and it said that, um, the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. And that is our experience and that's our knowledge of the Lord. So what do we do? What do we do in that? Like, what's our, what do we think? We think, God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what we think. And we think it rightly because it's in the scripture, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we're, we're invigorated. We're in charged up. And we say, hallelujah, let me go on. So they moved on. And in Joshua chapter 7, it says, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people. So, you know, it's, it's really exciting when we have a confidence in God and we know that God has really shown his faithfulness to us to where we look at the next challenge and we look at the next difficulty and we say, oh, God, this is easy for you. You know, this is not going to be a problem. You, you had that. I mean, we are confident. We're trusting in you. We don't need to make a big fuss out of this. You're going to get us through everything. Amen. And that is the right thing to think. That is the right thing to think. So it goes on in, in verses uh, 4 and 5, and it says, And they fled. They what? And they fled before the men of Ai, And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And we who are in this story stop and we say, wait, wait, what? Wait a minute. And what we're really saying is what it says in the last part of the verse. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Now we read 
in Joshua 5 and 6 in the beginning about how the enemy's hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them, which was fitting for the enemy to think and feel in light of what God does for us. And yet here now we find, here we are suffering a defeat and we're in the promised land. We've just taken heart. I'm going to pray for a moment for the Lord to really speak here the way he wants to speak. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, your word is holy and powerful. Lord, we know that your word is the power of God to salvation. I pray for the anointing of God to speak through your word at this moment as we open our hearts to hear from you, Father. I pray that, Lord, your message will become clear, and, God, you will speak in the way you want to speak. Give help to all of us who love you and trust in your word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So the title of my message is, What Went Wrong? There's a scripture that says, In the day of prosperity, rejoice. In the day of adversity, consider. It doesn't say in the day of adversity, give up. Although, in a way, hearts melting like water feels a little bit like giving up. But, you know, the people of God go down, but they come up. So so we may feel a little bit like that for a minute. But the question is, what went wrong? We do ourselves a big disservice when at that moment when we're facing an enemy that seems to be defeating us to answer it by saying, well, God works in mysterious ways. That's one way of not really. That's, that's not faith. That's that that's dropping the ball. But we are not, right, those who would want to drop the ball on our faith, right? We don't want to be shipwrecking on our faith because of some kind of thing that doesn't make sense that happened in our walk with God. It doesn't make sense. It isn't consistent. This isn't the way it was going. And how do we deal with it? Well, there was a piece of the story we didn't know because we hadn't read it. And, of course, they didn't know it because they had nothing to read about it. (laughs) They were living it. And even so, we're living our situation, and we're not able to read the story right now. We don't altogether know, well, what is really the situation? But right now, let's get a sneak peek into what actually was going on behind the scenes with Israel. In Joshua chapter 6, in verses 17 to 19, there were some other things that were told them about how to handle Jericho besides walking around it so many times each day. And this city, this was the commandment of the Lord, and the city and all that is within it, meaning Jericho now, shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. That's, you know, we could just pause right there. That is a commandment from the Lord to us that we 
should keep ourselves from the things, plural, that are devoted to destruction. The scripture speaks in the New Testament much about the things that will be destroyed. And many of them are things people do that will bring destruction upon them. And here we're being told, keep ourselves from the things that are devoted to destruction. Lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. Not just make yourself a thing devoted for destruction. Make the camp of Israel, make the church of Pentecostal tabernacle a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So those things were the exception, and they were directed where they were going to go. God's work into his treasury. Another thing we didn't know in the story, but somebody knew, is Joshua 7.1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. Broke faith. Broke faith. Now there's a clue to us. What went wrong? Broke faith. But it looked like they had faith going into AI. It looked like they had great faith. Well, some did because they didn't know any reason not to. Sometimes there's a way of discovering where we can't go in, where we where we can't go in into victory. They broke faith concerning, um, in regard to the devoted things for Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah of the tribe of Judah, praise company, took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against, did it say against Achan? Against the people of Israel? Here's where some of you might, who struggle with Old Testament, might say, oh, I just don't get it. Like, you know, sweep the whole, the whole people into judgment the scripture says these Old Testament things were written for our learning. We better be listening. Because this is the way God, our God, our victorious delivering God, looks at some things. And we better learn from it. It isn't just about us. What is a leader to do in this situation? You say, what's Achan to do in this situation? We'll deal with that in a minute. What's a leader to do in this situation? Do you ever think about that? Some of you definitely do. I know one person right here probably thinks about that. A lot of people probably don't think about that. It's like, oh, that's his problem. <laughs> the leader, Joshua, in this case, sought God. And that is the thing the leader is to do. 
It says in chapter 7, verse 6 through 9, Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Now, all of that, all those things have meaning essentially in humility and repentance. You say, repentance? He didn't do anything wrong. Did you notice God was angry with all of Israel? Therefore, the leader is accountable to humble himself on behalf of all of Israel. You know, sometimes children have no idea what trouble they're causing. Sorry, no offense, children. I love you all. (laughs) We've all been children. So I can speak from experience. We can cause a lot of trouble to a lot more than ourselves. We think it's just us. Sometimes it, you know, daddy and mommy also didn't get to go to that dinner because you were acting up. (laughs) This is little stuff. I think we can draw understanding of the implication to all of Pentecostal tabernacle. We have a calling. All of Israel had a calling, right? A big, big purpose in the history that God was writing in this one man. But anyway, Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God. Now watch this as leaders. Alas, O Lord God. Why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. Do you really think that's really his right mind thinking right there? He knew the promise of God. He set out as the leader confident in God. He knew that God was going to be with all of his people. He wasn't like those children of Israel who wandered around the wilderness for 40 years because they kept saying, oh, that we were back in Egypt. He's not like them. Joshua was one of the two who said, but we can do this. So I don't believe this is really Joshua's real heart. But look at it from Joshua's mind. What is happening? Why are we running for our enemies? Well, let me read his prayer. Oh, Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? And that's what got God's attention. When we're crying out and when leaders are crying out and saying, God, this is bringing reproach on you. What do you want to do about it, God? We're nothing. We fail. We don't know what we're doing. But God, this isn't going to go well for you. God answered that prayer. He answered it two ways. He answered the first part, the whining. And he answered the second part, God's great name and what he's going to do about it. So in Joshua 7, verse 10 through 13, the Lord said to Joshua, this is the first part, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. 
what would you think if, can the Lord speak like that specifically to our pastor? You better believe he can. He can if he wants to. Because he did to Joshua. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. Did we ever really think that this victory is mine and victory in Jesus that we have in Christ, that everything we do has no bearing on whether we continue in that victory? Do we have it in our minds that somehow that's like, it's like what he did? I remember being a young believer and uh, being in a church far away where, um, where it was like, it was like now that we're born again, it's like the whole world is different. And it's like, wait a minute. Like, every, I'm just not perfect right now. I hate to tell you, you know. Um, but do we realize that has bearing? I mean, you might say, well, of course we're not perfect. Is God hard? No. No. What are we doing with our imperfections? And so we know this was more than an imperfection. This became a sin because he acted on the things that he had in his heart. And he didn't repent, but he lied about it. Anyway, so God said, therefore, the people cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. Isn't that what God had said? Lest you become devoted for destruction yourselves. I, oh, this is bad. I will be with you no more. Unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Now, remember, he's talking to Joshua right now. What did Joshua really do? I'm not going to be with you anymore. It's hard on leaders when every success for himself, but not just for himself or herself, but for the entire people that they flock, that they pastor, if the success of it all hinges upon having a backbone to confront and to deal with a thing that is hard to deal with. Get up, he says again. Consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. We read in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me regard as in I keep I keep holding on to that sin iniquity is like a sin it's sin if I hold on to it the Lord isn't listening to my prayers we don't need that problem so Joshua they cast lots which is the Old Testament way many times of revealing who before God who who was uh, in this case guilty of something and Achan was eventually taken so Joshua did confront him in chapter 7, verse 19. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. That's how we can confront when someone is hiding something. There's an example right there. Give God the praise. Like Don't, don't pretend. God is still on the throne. Don't think you're hiding it from anybody. Give God the praise and confess. And Joshua, it says, and Achan answered Joshua, 
truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold. Wow, quite a few things there. (laughs) Weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them. I wanted them. And I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent and the silver underneath. Joshua did not waste a breath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. Do you realize how open this was? This, this was not a secret sin that remained secret. He could have dealt with it himself, but it had to take it coming to the leader to where, by the way, did we notice it said 30 some odd people died? It isn't just about us. And they brought it to Joshua and all the people. So he, he was really exposed before, before the entire nation. And then just to finish the story, but I'm not done, so bear with me. We have to understand what went wrong. And it isn't always what went wrong here. So Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters, ox and donkey, sheep, and his tent and all that he had and brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. And it goes on about burning with fire and raising a heap of stones. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Please let's not disregard Old Testament because it's hard. Why not? Remember in the beginning I said there are scriptures that teach us how to take the scriptures? And I read one of them. I'm going to read a little something else because we struggle sometimes. Like, but God, I I have sinned. Do I have to be scared of this? Am I going to lose everything? Is my house going to be burned with fire? Like, you know, and that might seem funny. Really, that is the fear of God when we start worrying about things like that finally, you know, when we're afraid about the consequences. Um, in a way, that's good, but it's not good to the extent that it tears at us and, and, and takes away the promise of God as our Father in the New Testament. So let me just read from the New Testament a little bit in Hebrews, which helps us understand how we as New Testament believers should regard this sort of thing. And in Hebrews 12, this is, I don't believe, up on the screen, so just here, or you can read on your own device or whatever. In 5 and 6, it says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. In verses 18 and 19, and this is key to our understanding how to deal with this very hard story we just read in the Old Testament, 
For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a... This is referring actually to when Moses went up on the mountain and the people were scared and terrified and didn't want to come near, which is sort of like how we are in light of the story about Achan. It's like, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. If If we're in that case, we could be terrified. But this is what the Lord says to us now as New Testament believers You haven't come to the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoke to them. But in verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We are saved from that kind of destruction through the blood of Jesus when we acknowledge before God our need and our sin and our wrong, we have a, a, an attorney, right? Someone to represent us in mercy before the Father when we come in repentance, in humility, in honesty. We aren't come to some terrifying, scary, where, you know, something's going to happen to us any moment that's going to destroy our entire life. No. We're come to that which speaks much better even than the blood of Abel, right? Jesus Christ died for us. So there's hope. We're sons and daughters of God. This is, you might say, just. This whole message is the chastisement of God. This whole message to somebody is a chastisement or a reproof. It's a discipline of the Lord who, to us whom he loves. It's his mercy to say, you know, hey, <laughs> Hey, this isn't okay. In fact, in fact, if it had been done back in the Old Testament, look what happened. This isn't okay. It still isn't okay. Even though we're in the New Testament, it still isn't okay. We have a much more marvelous and wonderful way of dealing with it now. That's the difference. Much more wonderful and glorious way of dealing with it now. But the sum of it, he said, is see then, this is still Hebrews, see then that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Therefore, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And this is New Testament. For our God is a consuming fire. A healthy, healthy respect and reverence for God. Amen. Now, that could be the end of my sermon. It's just that sin is not always the issue. And still something went wrong. So I want to take you there. Could you bear with me just a little longer? Because some of us may be sitting here and saying, look, God, I, I don't think I sinned. Hopefully we're not doing that. Hopefully it's like, God, I really don't think I sinned. Like I'm not aware of any sin, but things are not going right. Things just aren't going right. What went wrong? And we need some help. So I'm going to take you much more briefly to one other Old Testament story, but this one you'll relate a lot more to because this is King David, 
And we think of him so much as a New Testament, Old Testament guy. <laughs> you know, he had that relationship with God that's so similar to ours. And David was just a brand new, young, worshiping king at the time that we're going to take this story up. And he loved God. And the first thing in his heart to do as he came into the throne was, I've got to get the presence of God here in Jerusalem. I want to go get the ark back. There's a whole story about how the ark wasn't there. But anyway, it was in this other city called kerjath Jerem, kind of being protected for a period of 20 years um, after some disobedience. I'm going to pick up this story in 1 Chronicles 13, 6 through 10. And David and all Israel went up to Baalah, that is to kerjath Jerem, that belongs to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord, who sits enthroned above the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Ohio were driving the cart. And David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, with song and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. And we're praise company. Amen. And we love that. We're hallelujah. Yes. Let's rejoice. Let's worship with all our heart and all our might on Sunday mornings. Right. And we cheer ourselves up like that because we should. Because we're the worshipers, you know, we're not the worship. you all are worshipers, but I mean, we will lead everybody as much as we can into God's transformative presence, and, right? And so there we are, and that's who, da- by the way, David was a worship leader, and oh, his heart was in worship, and he appointed vast numbers of musicians and singers to give glory to God, right? And so, of course, it was in his heart, and look how he did it. He made a new cart. I'm sure in his heart, he's like, I'm going to honor God with all I've got. And let's go get the ark back to Jerusalem. They went off to celebrate. And when they came to the threshing floor of Kaidan, Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. And I said, what? wait, we're having, we're having a worship time right now and somebody just died? Like, wait, 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 wait. You know, there are those times, right? What, what went wrong? Like, God, in the time of diversity, consider. But maybe it's not sin. I mean, what did David do wrong? You could say, I mean, did, did he have anything wrong in his heart? He just wanted to elevate the Lord, right? What went wrong? And again, we can look at David's reaction, much like before we looked at Joshua's way of handling it. Let's let's look at how David responded in verse 11. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. His first reaction was, God, why'd you do that? What's happening? You know, we're just trying to pray. What did I do wrong now? What's wrong? You know, but then verse 12, and David was afraid of God that day and said, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? He so wanted the ark of God. What's wrong with wanting the ark of God in the house of God? What's wrong with wanting the presence of God? That's what we love, what we long for. That's what we desire. There's nothing wrong with it, brother and sister. There's nothing wrong with wanting the ark of God where it belongs. Nothing wrong. But he had to figure out what went wrong. 
what went wrong. Here's a time where maybe some of you need encouragement. And you're thinking to yourselves that in your situation, you're aching. And you're thinking, well, must be I sinned again. Not that you're a perpetual sinner. I should have said it differently. It must be, it must again be that I've sinned. In other words, I'm thinking again and again and again. I'm always thinking it's my fault. I'm failing. It must be my fault. Something wrong with me. Something I don't, I'm just not, I'm like not the child of God like everyone else. I don't know how to do this. I never do it right. What's wrong? And you're not Achan, and you haven't troubled Israel because of your wrongdoing. David did not trouble Israel because of his internal, personal wrongdoing. But there's something he needed to learn, and we often need to learn things. So let's find out what he did, and I'll wrap it up. He went further, and he prayed, as he should. He thought, or he decided what he should do now. He didn't want to bring the ark up to Jerusalem, so David didn't take it home to the city of David, but took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Now, this if you look at that, you might say, oh, that's weird, like you just put it in someone's house. This person, it turns out, is actually a Levite. And the ark of God remained with the household of Obed-Edom in his house three months, and the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Next thing we read is 1 Chronicles 15.1. David prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. And you're like, David, what are you thinking right now? So it's like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this again. I'm going to try this again. But not hastily. He didn't try it again without first searching it out. Verse 2, then David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God. For the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to him forever. What we don't read is probably that he went back to Numbers 4, 4 through 6, which was in the law. Let's see that. It says in the law, which, by the way, was his guidebook. It was his guidebook. Had he not consulted it before in his zeal as a young worshiper king? saying, I got to get this ark. He didn't look to see how you do it. When we're young, do we take time, especially when we're young and being elevated? Are we very diligent to search and to say, let me do this right? Do we think we just somehow know? We look back, Numbers 4, 4 through 6. This is the service of the sons of Kohath in the tent of meeting, the most holy things. When the camp is to set out, Aaron and his sons will go in and take down the veil of the screen and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Then they shall put on it a covering of goat skin and spread on top of that a cloth, olive blue, and shall put in its poles. The ark was constructed in such a way that you could slide poles into these things and carry it by the poles so you never would touch the ark and the ark could not be looked into and when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary as the camp sets out after that the sons of Kohath, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these but they must not touch the holy things lest they die it was in the law so a new cart seemed like an honorable thing to have thought of doing 
I'm going to get something new. I've got a new, I've got an, I've got an awesome new idea. <sighs> and it's going to honor God because it's from my heart. I'm sure God knows that your heart is wanting to do, but ultimately when God has already set things in a certain order, what we choose out of our own heart isn't going to hold much weight in light of our disobedience to the things God has already made known. So we need to be, as it says, studying to show ourselves to be approved by God, a workman who needs not be ashamed. As young young ministers, we need to be studying, right, finding out, how do I do this? Really digging deep, right? So they did it right this time. In 11 through 15, David summoned the priests and said to them, you are the, now listen to what he says, you're the heads of the father's houses of the Levites. Still, he told them, consecrate yourselves. Even the Le- what, do the Levites have special liberty? Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I've prepared for it, because you did not carry it the first time. The Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. That's what went wrong for those of you who were not like Achan. And something went wrong. It wasn't your sin. You didn't seek it out to find out what was the rule about that. How do I do this right? Do we think sometimes, you know, sometimes it's okay to just pray a little prayer. Like, Lord, bless our food. Thank you in Jesus' name. It's probably sufficient. Thank God our food anyway in this country is pretty good. Probably won't die eating most of it. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) But there are many more weighty matters about our spiritual lives that we take that little time praying about. And even if we prayed about it, did we search out in the scripture? Might the scripture have something to say about that? Or maybe just ask someone who's a little bit more farther along in the Lord that we could ask and say, you know, what do you, you know, get some counsel among the brethren maybe, you know. So that's why. David said, I figured it out. Does that mean he could get Uzzah back? It's still sad, right? There were consequences in both cases. But he learned from it. So they consecrated and brought up the ark. And it says, and the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles, as Moses had commanded, according to the word of the Lord. So David and the elders and commanders, okay, I'm going to skip some of this. And it says in the second line there of that next slide, and because God helped the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams and so on and they had a great big party at the end it says so all israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the lord with shouting to the sound of the horn there it all is again praise company's back (laughs) horn trumpets and cymbals and made loud music on harps and lyres right now they're good now they're free right now they're filled with joy and it's resolved also It isn't this nagging thing in the background like, well, I don't know. I don't know what went wrong. I wish I could have the ark here, but I guess I just can't. You can. You can, you can, can, right? Just find out what is the rule. What is the rule? So what is the summary of all of this? In Isaiah chapter 118, the Lord says, come and let us reason together. And my message to you this morning, if there is a place in your life where you've been wondering, and this isn't for everybody this morning, 
One time back a long time ago, I said, Lord, what about it? When I sit through messages, sometimes you can sit through a big, long, and this is a little bit long message, sit through a long message, and it's not you. You know, the scripture to Peter says, feed my sheep. You're being fed this morning. Maybe it'll minister something someday to you about yourself or someone else. So thank you for bearing with it. Truly, the Lord knows. But some of us here are like, Lord, what went wrong? I needed an answer. And so come and let us reason together. And sometimes the really the issue, if you think about AI, I don't think Joshua really did anything wrong in following the advice of only bringing a few thousand, thinking about the victory that they had had. But on the other hand, to the extent that anyone in the, new, in the camp might have known, anyway, Aiken knew what he had done, he was overconfident. Sometimes we're overconfident given what we know about ourselves. That can be the greatest reason why things go wrong. We're overconfident given what we know, whether it's about a sin or about a rule of how we should do something and we're ignoring it. Why are we so confident? Who do we, can we act apart from obedience to the Lord and have his blessing? You know, not really. Sometimes it's for lack of knowledge, though. And that's kind of where it was with David, right? Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Okay, I'll go down. And Romans 10.2 says, They, speaking of the Israelites, have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And that's where I will... I will say it's probably the biggest thing that happens to young ministers, young people in service. They love God. They're zealous. It can happen to us, too, who are older. But I'm just saying it's a common, it's a very common thing because there's so much zeal. But the question is, do we really know what we're doing? And we need to really respect the fact that it takes something to search that out. That is not a, as simple as falling off a log. It isn't like memory. It's not like cramming for an exam in the last minute and passing anyway. With God, it doesn't work like that. We got to get it right. So, not that He's a hard man, but we need to take these things seriously. Okay. So I'm going to close it there, and um, let's let's pray. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, my God. Father, in the name of Jesus, in whom we have hope and light and love, acceptance, mercy. You said you're the God of all mercies and the God of all comfort. My God, you know, I pray first of all for all of us here that while we all embrace what is healthy fear of God, healthy respect for God. No one should be plagued with fear from the enemy. So God, we acknowledge your word. I pray as we're all gathered in your presence that we will be at least eventually happy, happy with your truth that helps us, God, when we acknowledge the truth. God, we thank you, Lord, for your mercy in giving us the word of God to reveal and help us to know maybe what went wrong, if things have gone wrong. I pray for everyone, Lord, to have learned something here this morning. I pray we will all, God, even as it was told to Achan, to give glory to God. 
to, to worship him and be honest. Lord, we did worship you, Lord. We, we, every praise, God, is do your name, Lord. And Lord, we, we come before you as your children, and we thank you, Lord, that you are kind and you receive us. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. We just give you some thanks right now. All of us can be thankful for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you're with us. Lord, you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You have the love of a father because you are the great father. Thank you, Lord. This morning, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray you will show each soul how to respond, if at all, in any way to this message, other than just to be thankful, maybe, for the word of God. If there is a need, I pray you will touch the need in the name of Jesus. And I just would want to offer to anyone here this morning, as our eyes are still closed, if any one of you would wish to have prayer, first of all, I'm happy to pray with you after the service. I'm happy to pray with any one of you after the service. I will linger here, God willing, for a little while. I realize some things are hard to pray about at the altar in front of everybody. Some things are hard to maybe talk about in just a minute or so at the altar. So I'll make myself available for a little while after the service. But I'd also welcome anybody if you would like to come down to the altar right now and I will pray for you. Come right down if there is a desire for prayer. Thank you, Jesus. We honor you. We bless you, Lord. Worship and praise you, Lord. 